The Power Play Podcast is brought to you by Game Time. Now, you know the holidays are coming up, right? I know for me, I would love to get tickets to a game or some type of event. I love a good concert. And those are really good gifts. Game Time is a great way to purchase those gifts. The prices are 60% off. There's 12 million fans that have already bought from trusted sellers on Game Time. And you can too for the holidays. I mean, what a great gift to give. It's really easy. You jump on the Game Time app. It's a two-tap checkout process. And boom, you have a perfect gift for the holidays. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on these last-minute tickets and great holiday gifts. Plays like an MVP, championship pedigree, Hall of Fame skills, business deals, lead the league, on court, all pro, off court, entrepreneur, any court, play ball, I'm ready to score, investments, connections, franchise player, levels to this man, I just add more layers, we changing the game, athletes bigger than balling, power plays, power moves, yeah, we going all in, my whole life a highlight reel, not just on the field, not just bodybuilding, I might buy a building, start a company, CEO, mind frame, this is way beyond game, these is power plays, Welcome to Power Play. This is Alicia J, your host for this podcast. And when I created this podcast, I literally thought about the person that I am going to interview today as a person that needed to be on it. Power Play is about the power plays that happen in sport off the field or court. And my guest today definitely does that in so many ways. It's also a position that people would never really think about, to be honest with you. Uh, When you think about sport, you wouldn't think about government. Straight off top, today with me, I have Vice President of Government Affairs for the Oakland Athletics, Taj Tashambe. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Alicia J. It's a pleasure. Oh, well, thank you. So Vice President of Government Affairs, people are like, what is that? What does that have to do with baseball? Uh, Can you fill us in on what you do? Sure. I think what most people don't understand is when we build large-scale projects, like new ballparks, new stadiums, and new arenas, it requires a great deal of government involvement at all levels. Sometimes it's federal, state, or local, or all three. And my role is to assimilate all those aspects, plus the community together to work towards a positive result in constructing a new ballpark in Oakland. So government affairs essentially encompasses all of that in one and it pretty much is the backbone, no pun intended, to the entire project. If we don't have the government approvals, nothing can move forward. Listen, when you say a backbone of a project like that, ballparks don't just come up overnight. Mm -hmm. You know, even the building of them isn't instant, let alone all of the stuff that goes into getting to that point to even build. Um, Can you just tell us some of the challenges that you've had with the project and Maybe, maybe we should actually start with where the project is right now. Sure, sure. Well, right now the project, I, give, I gave an analogy recently in an interview about like running a mile around a track. So at this stage, just to put it in context, it's in the second lap approaching the starting blocks going into the third lap, I would say. So basically the halfway point. And... What we've done so far is essentially established a couple of things. One, in order for the project to move forward, it's being constructed on the Bay Area waterfront. And there's a coalition of legislative bodies that are appointed by the governor. One is the State Lands Commission, and another is BCDC. And these two agencies control all of the development that can take place on the Bay. So when the Warriors initially wanted to build what's now Chase Center on Pier 3032 in San Francisco, they had to go through those same agencies to get approval to do that. So they weren't successful initially in building on the pier because of the environmental concerns and some of the things that the community just didn't want to see happen, right? So we had to go through the same process. And we've been successful at getting those agencies to approve us building potentially the ballpark on the waterfront. So that's like the first major hurdle in what we had to get done. And we passed legislation this year to essentially allow that process to move forward. And what that means is we had to get something called a trust exchange so that lands that are potentially 
protected that don't allow for commercial development to take place on the waterfront. We got that passed in order to move forward with the next step in the process, which is developing an agreement with the city of Oakland and the potential other legislators in the area that need to then weigh in on the next steps. So technically speaking, if we didn't get that hurdle passed, we wouldn't be able to talk about developing an agreement with the city and or the community and then moving forward with the construction process potentially in the next couple of years. Well, then does that, that give was, you a, a, it, it totally a does. Answer? Okay. Like, I'm so happy that we're sitting here talking today because people do not understand this process. No, it's very confusing. They, right. They don't. I mean, even you sitting here explaining it to me, I'm still like, okay. Like, right, right. you know, there's so many layers and so many things that go into it. I know specifically in Oakland, um, the whole environment of sports has changed for the city. And it's very important for the A's to stay in Oakland in my, right. you know, as being so, somebody who's been in Oakland for 13 years. Mm-hmm. Can you just outline the importance of a new ballpark in the city of Oakland? Well, it kind of boils back to my own childhood and, and growing up in the city of Oakland. I grew up in Oakland and then I went to high school in Seattle. The community, the sports teams, the legacy of, this, of the community has been very important and embedded in, in my entire upbringing. So I remember rooting for the A's, you know, as a child. The Raiders were in L.A. When I came up, they had moved, I think, I was born in 82. So they had moved, the, what, in 1980, 81 to L.A. So I missed the Oakland Raiders, right? So it was all just folklore when I was coming up as far as a football team. But we had the Warriors and the A's. So coming up during Run TMC and then the A's were winning World Series championships and pennants, you know, during my childhood. I loved MC Hammer. My mom was the first black female police officer in Fremont when Hammer built his house in Fremont. So there was just a lot that was happening for for the community and and just our region at the time. You know, we were kind of on top. And then the Giants, the Giants and A's playing each other in World Series, like all of that. So just giving you some context, I think this whole project is is really important to the fabric of maintaining Oakland as a destination for professional sports since the other two teams, Raiders left, came back, now leaving again. The Warriors never truly embracing Oakland as their home. It's only been in the last two or three seasons, and I mean this with all due respect because I think they're a great organization and have done a lot in the community, but they were never called the Oakland Warriors. And I think... When you look at the Raiders paraphernalia, their team insania is so generic. It just says Raiders on a lot of their merchandise. It doesn't say Oakland Raiders for many years. So they could stay pretty much neutral on wherever they wanted to brand themselves as or market themselves to. The Oakland A's are the only team in the city of Oakland in professional sports that wears Oakland across their chest. Now we have a, a home jersey that says Oakland as well as our road jerseys. So by trade, I'm a branding you know, expert. So for me, that's the fundamental truth in establishing the importance and civic pride and institutional character of an organization. If you don't represent the community for which you serve, then there's a missed opportunity. The reason I took this job and positioned myself for this role was to create that opportunity, right? To, sh- to showcase that you know, Oakland is a viable market it deserves a professional sports team. And that segues into so many other opportunities, potentially that can be garnered from this development process. So I hope that answers the question. I mean, it's such a, a mouthful to really think about like the gravity of everything. Absolutely. But I think the community has been affected by so many other areas of concern that sports is not their number one area of interest, right? So losing the other two teams we haven't felt the impact of that yet. Right. But I think the impact is great. You know, I think that people underestimate the impact of those teams leaving and they underestimate the impact of you staying. Absolutely. You know, and I just thank you for your work, number one, because I know that it's a lot of work to do this. Can you outline some challenges that you've had with this process um, and how you've overcome them? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge I mentioned it, you know, to the crew and to you off air is building trust in the community because the A's as well as the other teams have all threatened 
well, actually are leaving or have threatened to leave, right? Including the A's. The A's tried to go to Fremont. They attempted to go to San Jose. They flirted with the idea of staying in Oakland, you know, 10 years ago, but there wasn't really a strong pursuit to do so. And now they've doubled back down on Oakland. So I think there is some repair work that needs to be done with the community. And quite frankly, the A's have played in East Oakland for 50 years, right? Over 50 years. And East Oakland has suffered as a community. And this is stuff that Dave Cavill, our team president, and myself talk about all the time because he and I have, have really led a lot of the outreach into the community. As long as I can remember, the A's hadn't been present, right? But when Dave became president and then hired me shortly thereafter, that narrative changed because we went into the community. We were in South Prescott. We were in East Oakland. We were in Defermery Park. You know, wherever we needed to be, we would show up, just he and I, right? And then later, as the team expanded and the project grew, we started holding community workshops and things of that nature throughout the community. So to answer the question more concisely, I think trust is the main issue, right? Oakland and the East Bay in particular it's a blue collar community, right? So the ivory tower concept, it's like Hunger Games. I really look at the Bay Area like Hunger Games. I think I told you this. If you look at San Francisco compared to Oakland, just visually, you see these high rise buildings, you see Salesforce Tower, Golden Gate Bridge. It looks like the Hunger Games to me. You look across the Bay, the buildings aren't as tall. It doesn't look like there's much as much boom in terms of the economy. So when people come from wealth and say that they want to do things in communities that are disenfranchised, I think there is a hard pill to swallow in terms of building consensus and trust due to the history and due to what people have seen or heard the A's or other organizations say in the past as to why Oakland can't work. They can't make as much money or, or generate as much revenue in this community. So. That's the work we are doing now in terms of really communicating the truth and communicating the opportunity and really identifying where there is inclusive collaboration opportunities. So I think that's that's really the, the bottom line. And that's definitely something that's hard to do as well. I mean, I can say as somebody who's lived in Oakland, I can understand that because we have got or received mixed messages, mm-hmm. um, not only from the sports teams that have left, but as right. you already stated, from the A's as well. So I can see how it would be hard to build that trust. Absolutely. Kind of circling back to what you do specifically, mm-hmm. one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because there are people who love sports and they don't understand what goes into it and they may want to be a part of it, but they have no idea how to get into that. And you have said that you don't have to be an athlete to ball. Mm. That's my favorite. That's my favorite quote of all time. Right. You know, you've stated that before and talked about it. It's on your website. Can you just explain, elaborate on that that and elaborate what that means to you and how you got to where you are today? For sure. So coming up, every kid, well, at least that I grew up with, wanted to have some type of athletic prowess. Like you wanted to be on the varsity basketball team or get a scholarship. Or if you really were that one, take it further, right? Go to the league. If I ran track for one year, But my love was basketball, you know, growing up as a kid. And I played my sophomore and junior year, and I didn't play my senior year because there was an issue with the coach, and I could see my career, my basketball career ending, right, at that point, unless something else were to happen. If I transferred schools or, you know, tried to walk on in college or something like that. So I learned pretty early on that, you know, I didn't I didn't have all of the attributes. I wasn't tall. I wasn't highly recruited or sought after on the AAU teams. I could get on the squad, but I wasn't sought after. So I remember going to Atlanta in 1997, the year after the Olympics. And it was my first time in Atlanta. And my mom had a friend and her friend was a professor at Georgia State. And so he knew I was coming out of high school, going into college, and he asked me specifically about what I wanted to do career path-wise. So we started talking about sports, and he said, you know, it's one thing to play for a team, but it's another thing to own a team and decide who plays for it and what happens. And at that point, a light bulb went off in my head. I was a junior 
in high school. And I said to myself, you know what? The real game isn't on the court. The real game is in the luxury boxes, in the sky boxes, and those sitting courtside, calling the shots. You want to be a shot caller. So that's when my transformation happened. You know, as a teenager, I started to think, who doesn't want a ball in the traditional sense, either as an athlete or an entertainer or what have you. And I'm sure we can get to that later because I have some, some other things I do outside of this. But that was my entry point into understanding that whatever happens in your life, um, it's important to be a stakeholder, not just an end user. So developing a cadence around how to get into sports initially wasn't my it wasn't my interest. It was more about how to become the baller, how to make the decisions, how to become the business decision maker in whatever industry I chose to work in. And so I saw a path forward with the A's in identifying opportunities where there wasn't a clear path or there wasn't a clear understanding of what a role could be. Because the A's have never had a VP of government affairs before. Like most teams don't don't have this type of work. Yeah, right? I was just going to say most teams don't have that. I don't even think that's something that would cross someone's mind when they get into sports to be. Like, I want to be the vice president of government affairs. Like, who says that, really, right. to be honest with you? It's real. Yeah. But you said they didn't have the position, so how, did, how did you get it? So, and this is a lesson for everyone listening and, and who will be tuning into this. Number one, I believe fundamentally that you have to have a vision, right? Whether it's dreaming at night, whether it's visualizing your destination, throwing everything out there that's a possibility, right? Whether you know it's gonna happen or, or not. I've been watching, I lived in LA prior to taking this role. I lived in LA for a long time and I worked in the sports and entertainment in LA, but tangentially, I didn't work for a team. I was working in advertising, running brand campaigns, and managing sports portfolios for big brands that were sponsoring everything, like the Super Bowl, the Academy Awards, the Olympics. So I was working with athletes, I was working with brands and doing big campaigns, like Michael Phelps. I worked with Michael Phelps during the Beijing Olympic Games. I worked for Hilton at the time, and he was one of our spokespersons and the USA swimming team. So just to give you an idea, like it was global scale, when things were just on fire. He was on fire at that point. So basically what happened with the A's was, I'm from here and I've been watching from a distance all of the news over the last decade about all the teams and the challenges at the Coliseum, the challenges with the Raiders, wanting a new stadium, the A's, and then when the Lakers bought the Warriors, what they were gonna do. So I've just been keeping my eye on the whole, whole situation and in 2016, the A's had announced a change in their leadership structure. They brought in Dave Cavill to become the team president, and Lou Wolf was stepping away from the team, and John Fisher was going to take. He was always the, the managing partner, but you know Lou was chairman, if you will. So they just moved some things around, and they were going to reboot a new stadium effort, right? And they had a huge press conference introducing Dave and they doubled down on Oakland during this press conference. So I lived in LA, like I said, but I was tuning into this press conference, watching what Dave was saying. I got inspired. I said, you know what? I'm gonna hit this guy up. I don't know him, never met him, don't have any connection to him personally, but you know, let me reach out and just let him know what I'm about, what my truth is, and see if he'll take a meeting with me. So that night, I sent him an email. How did I know his email? Well, I interned for the A's when I was in college. And I went to college in Atlanta. So one summer I came back, interned for them. So I knew the structure of the email domain, right, for the organization. So I hit him up. I made it very, very intriguing as far as like my subject line. And my email was short and to the point. So it was convincing enough for you to want to reply, right? So I did that. And from there, he responded. I came up to Oakland. We met. And he basically offered me a job on the spot. Wow. So that's the short story. I can fill in the blanks, but that's pretty much what you happened. You built your own table. Pretty much. You built your own table at the A's. Yeah. Literally. Literally, yeah. 
That's why I went down. And I like to tell everybody who listens, especially in sports, you have to go after it. Like, you can't sit idly by and expect to climb up the ranks or get a position. You have to go after it every day. Man, that is a testament to doing that. I mean, there's literally not a position even thought of. And you go in there and say, y'all need this. Right. And I'm here and let's do this. And they say yes. Pretty much. That's that's how I went down. I brought in a one sheet to kind of explain what I thought he needed to have. And I brought my uncle with me, too, just to give you one more anecdote to this whole story when there's, there's a lesson in it. My uncle, who's my mother's brother, he's a sports almanac. And he's taught me basically everything I know about sports. You know, not just playing the game, but all the, the aspects of history, just the po- everything. So politics, Negro Leagues, MLB, basketball, football, everything, right? Everything I know. So I brought him with me. He wore a jacket that said Brooklyn across the chest. So when we sat down to talk to Dave, Dave says, oh, Brooklyn, like Brooklyn Dodgers, right? And my uncle says, no, this is actually about the Brooklyn tip tops. So from there, he was like, oh, okay, who am I talking to? Who are these two dudes? The tip tops. He says, okay, yeah, from the Federal League. Then we're like, oh, Federal League. Yeah, 1914, 1915. They competed against the National League back in the day. And then we talked about Wrigley Field. Well, Wrigley Field wasn't built for the Chicago Cubs. It was built for the Chicago Whales. They were in the Federal League in 1914. So at that point, he was like, all right, what do y'all want? Like, what are we doing? How can we figure something out? Because clearly, I'm talking to some people that aren't here to just pitch me on any old thing, right? This is, this is different. So I think that established the cadence of how serious I was and how savvy we were in terms of not looking at this like it's just a passion project, but it's like, no, look, you need to be strategic and you need dynamic people in your cabinet to help you really champion this project in a different way. So what's your uncle's name? His name is Eddie Wright. So shout out to Uncle Eddie. Yes. Come through Uncle Eddie. We call him Uncle Randy and the family. And he used to be a basketball coach. Um, at Kennedy High School in Richmond uh, many, many years ago. But the guy is, I mean, thank you for the shout out. He's, he's basically the reason I got the job, right? From the standpoint of understanding the game and understanding how sports plays a pivotal role in building communities. And shout out to the Brooklyn Tip Tops. If there's any historians out there, holler at Alicia J because you guys need to be on the podcast and, and, break, and break down the Federal League because the Federal League is a forgotten league that competed against the National League, like I said, from 1914 to 1915. It only existed for two years, but it was the Federal League that helped me get my job. So, <laughs> Well, and I'm so glad that they did that. I mean, listen, you set yourself apart. You know, you went into that meeting knowing what you brought to the table. Definitely. And they saw it. And I think that's huge in sports. Anyone that works in there, like you, you have to be you, number Absolutely. one. Bring everything that you have to the table and execute it in the best way possible. And you absolutely do that. So you're vice president of government affairs. Where, what is your background in government? That's a good question. So I do have a background in government. I used to work for Barbara Lee, Congresswoman Barbara Lee, many, many years ago. I was like a congressional aide here in the district in Oakland. And that was really my entry point into politics. I hadn't worked in politics previously. And this particular time period was during, like, it was 2003. So that was during the Kerry Edwards campaign. And there was three campaigns going on at the same time. There was Barbara Lee's campaign. There was Barbara Boxer's campaign and the presidential campaign. So that was like a trifecta. You had congressional, Senate, and presidential elections all taking place in 2004. So when that took place, it essentially gave me my introduction into the political system. And I I quickly realized that that wasn't necessarily the game I wanted to start my career in because one, you weren't gonna make no money. And two, I felt like you needed to be more established, you know, in a career like prior to dedicating yourself, at least in my, in my situation, dedicating myself to a life of public service, I felt like 
I needed to cut my teeth in, in the private sector. So that was my entry point. And I think politics, sometimes there's a confusion of what politics really is about. Politics is about community and community engagement. So I've spent most of my career tangentially involved with the community in some way, shape or form. I used to be the president of the Urban League uh, Young Professionals Group in LA, which is every, everybody under 40 years old for a couple of years and just been involved in a lot of different nonprofits and I sit on boards, different organizations. So that prepared me over my career and in college too. I was really politically active in college, came up to DC, did a few things to lobby for different bills and things like that. So I've always been tangentially involved, but this opportunity, it just, it just took all my experience and, and wrapped it up into one package. I just had been prepared, you know, through my career to, to take on this opportunity. And that's why you can never underestimate anything in your path. Because literally every single thing that you've done, it might not have made sense then. Right. But it all rolled up into this position exactly. that you created for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. So it was really a natural, it was natural fit. And the, the first job that I had with the A's, I was the VP of External Affairs. So I had a little bit more of a ubiquitous title, but it touched government, it touched community, it touched policy, you know, so doing a lot of those same things. But government now is kind of like stamped it because a lot of what we need to do is, is really related to the, to the government agencies. So I would imagine there's not many VPs of government affairs. Are there like, what are the numbers on that? That's a good question. I haven't done, I haven't done all the data pulls, but there's only a couple of, a couple of teams in MLB that I know have a specific role. There, there are a few teams that have like an external affairs person or counterpart, but mostly you don't find this position in sports. It's gonna be a position that you might find at other you know, Fortune 500 companies like Chevron or Clorox or Kaiser, because typically those type of companies are dealing with a lot more legislative policy-driven issues that you find in industry, not necessarily sports. So we're at a different place in our society. Like look what's happening right now in China with the NBA. Shout out to the NBA. I mean, if you guys need some help, I got you, right? Because we're talking about diplomatic issues now. We're not talking about, well, how many points did LeBron have last night? Is Kyrie's face okay? We're not talking about that. We're talking about policy. We're talking about what does this impact have on the future of the NBA overseas, especially in China, which is their biggest market. Well, and it really shows you too how much a position like yours is so integral in what Absolutely. people do because that one move changed the whole face and game of that relationship. So truth be told, China. if a team doesn't have a role like this now, it's just like having a VP of diversity and inclusion. That's the most important thing in our society right now. Are you inclusive? If you're not inclusive, eh, you better find somebody who's inclusive. All the major brands, H&M, Gucci, you know, Sephora, who my wife works for, they're all going through the same stuff. They gotta find people now to help them address social impact and community impact issues, right? So sports, government, policy, taking a stand, kneeling, praying on the field, whatever it is, it needs coverage now, it needs protection, it needs explanation, it needs gravity. So this type of work really should be at every team, every league, men's, women's, it doesn't matter. So I think these are going to be ongoing crises that need to be addressed. And if they're not, the NBA or other, other leagues or other teams are going to find themselves in very precarious situations because they don't have an expertise or have an established a cadence on how to deal with these types of issues. And what do you think it'll take to get there? Because, you know, diversity and inclusion wasn't a wave until recently, to be honest. It's going to take this interview getting out. It's going to go viral because now it's a discussion topic and there's a crisis. There's a mute button to ensure that there's no more mistakes in terms of what anybody says. The players don't want to say anything. They don't want to mess up their brands. So this is a pivotal moment, right, for all of us to learn from in terms of how we can address these issues moving forward and be more prepared. 
So and I know that wasn't a part of our interview, but no, I no, no. Was, I mean, it helps address why does this role exist? Well, there you go. Players are establishing their personal brands right. and um, they're really telling their own story. So in a way, they would need something like this as well. CAA, I mean, William Morris, Endeavor, all these agencies, this is probably the one area where publicly a lot of people don't know what goes into building a brand like behind the scenes or developing licensing opportunities, representing athletes and their contracts. There are rules. Like we can't just do anything. So bills have been passed. Legislation has been passed to support the type of structures that we have today in the games. So it's not widely known about government affairs or public policy, but these are the things that enable the entertainment value of what we have to work. So when we talk about sports books, gambling, and how that's going to be introduced into the leagues, well, here you go. That's all government affairs types of work, you know. There's so many layers. Lots. Like we could unpack them all day. I'm, I'm really glad that we are sitting down and having a chance to present this to everyone because they need to know what goes into it. Um, well, thank you. Thank you for the platform. You know, you built your table at the A's. You're, you're at the A's, but you also are building a lot of tables outside of your position with the A's. Uh, you're an entrepreneur. You're an artist. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what you're doing off the field? Sure, sure. Going back to your, your phrase um, from my website, you don't have to be an athlete to ball. I really believe that, and I think I'm a living testimony to that, is that most, most athletes, at least the, the well-known athletes, have brands, right? Whether it's a shoe deal, whether it's their own in insignia, logo, or what have you, they're bigger than the sport that they're widely identified as, right? Being just an athlete. They have branched out and have created global recognition in various forms, whether that be through media, whether that be through merchandise, investments, whatever it may be. There are no limitations on today's athletes, right? Why can't that be the same for young African-American executives? So I look at my career parallel to that of LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Serena Williams. Serena Williams, is, by the way, is my number one favorite athlete, not even male or female. That's, that's my number one favorite athlete. Um, As she should be. She's dope. And I feel like those are individuals that have not only personalities that are recognizable, but they have business interests that take them well beyond their playing careers. And they'll probably be more successful off the court with these endeavors that they've allowed themselves to set up and become billionaires, right? And potentially own teams and do, do other things. Absolutely. So that's my same goal. And I, I want to encourage my other young managers, executives, students to pursue their career path in the same way. Like, get your bag, create your opportunity, whatever that is, manifest that, but then flip it. Flip it into something bigger. Flip it into your passion, your true passion play. Like, whatever that is, if that's entrepreneurial, if that's becoming the CEO of the company you work for, or a competitor, develop your brand as big as it can be. So, what I'm doing, I'm pursuing all my passions. I'm an artist. Colloquially, I, I call my, my craft R&V, which means rhythm and vibe. So I'm a recording artist. Uh, it's not R&B, V. You feel okay. me? Okay. No, you, you are building an <laughs> R&V table. R&V table, yes. <laughs> so you'll see that coming out really soon. And other than that, I'm very entrepreneurial. I like to see the manifestation of ideas to become things. So one of my other real passions is um, investing, starting businesses. I used to run agency, potentially developing another company right now to kind of focus on the areas that we're talking about, right? Not just an agency to have an agency, but an agency that's solution oriented and has a level of impact. So that's really my, my playbook is to develop a global brand that is tangential to things outside of what you may be known for. Because ultimately, I think creating opportunities for yourself and others 
is what will immortalize you. And really it's the, great, the greatest gift you can give back is to use your talents, pave the road that hasn't been paved yet, you know? I'm curious, do you feel supported in that? Mm-mm. I don't think people know how to support you in that. I've thought about going to my employer, and this is real talk, and having a discussion like this and say, hey, you know, I'm thinking about starting this organization over here, but that doesn't mean I want to leave my job. That just means I want to work like everybody else does that's successful and has multiple entities. I gave an example to someone about Tom Ford, started Tom Ford, but he was also the creative director at Louis Vuitton. Okay, so why can't you do that? Like, why can't you work somewhere and then also start another brand? It's, right. it's like, it's not competitive. It's like cooperative, you know? Yes. So I think, and Mark Jacobs was the same way. So designers do this all the time, right? But sometimes in corporate settings or with professional teams, there's a, there's a woman who works for the Dodgers, Janet Marie Smith, who is a developer and she does renovations for stadiums across the country. So the Dodgers allow Janet to work for the Red Sox, for other teams that want her skill set to help them renovate their stadiums. Like the Red Sox renovated Fenway. She renovated Fenway, Dodger Stadium, Camden Yards. But she really works like for the Dodgers, right? But she's able to farm out and do other projects. So I think that's how we should be looking at our societal norms in terms of career opportunities and growth and development and how we can support. That's how you retain talent. Absolutely. Like if you're in tech, if I'm Mark Zuckerberg, I want anyone who works for me to go out there and throw everything on the wall that sticks. And I might fund them to start their businesses, to start their technology, their IP, right? Maybe we work something out, you know, where I get a piece of it, but let them grow. Like let them become the next you. Absolutely. So I think that's kind of like, it's difficult for people to understand how to support that because there isn't, there isn't a manuscript. But I think forums like this, just to put the conversation out there is, is very valuable. So again, thank you for the opportunity just to express it. I think families have a hard time supporting entrepreneurship because it's unstable. My uncle was texting me, another uncle, my uncle Jeff was texting me this morning about my grandfather who was into real estate. Um, he started a real estate company in the 60s but during hard times, he went out and got other work to kind of make ends meet until he could get on his feet again. So I look at the situation the same way. He didn't have a support system. You know, he didn't, we didn't come from generational wealth. Whereas now I can, I can at least tell my wife, well, look, this is what my grandfather had to do. and kept the lights on, but he still pursued his passion. Well, I'm going to do the same thing. That's kind of how I see it. I couldn't agree more. I feel like all companies should do that. When your employees are living in their purpose, they're going to provide you with the best work because they're on their highest like vibration and frequency. There you go. See, now you took some words. You just got me going. Frequency and vibration. I feel this is a Suge Knight moment. It's like when Suge was at the Source Awards and he said, any artist out there want to be an artist and want to stay a star and don't want to have to worry about the executive producer trying to be all in the videos, all on the record, dancing, come to death row. Well, that's kind of how I feel. It's like, look, if you want to feel like you're going to be supported and you're going to be given an opportunity to live your best life, holler at your boy. Because I think we need to share in that frequency and vibration. That's what's going to bring the best out of everybody. You know, you don't want to have to hide the real you when you come to work every day. I got to put that in my box. I can't bring that out until five o'clock on my lunch break. You know, so you got the Instagram version of you. And yeah, the LinkedIn version of you. I want that to all be the same thing. Should be. You know? Absolutely should be. Well, I know there's somebody listening right now that admires who you are in your path. They want to do something in sports. They don't know exactly what table they want to build. What advice would you give to them? Well, one, they need to listen to this entire interview because I think the truth is being revealed right now. Like this is, this is my truth, right? And at the opportunity to be here, the opportunity to have this, this moment, it's my responsibility to honor it and essentially give back as much as I can, right? So I think anybody listening who may be inspired to do something in their own world, 
consider that. Consider how fortunate you are, right? How, consider how fortunate your ancestors were to go through what they went through to get you here. And I think you put more, more of your life in context and realize you're not a victim. No circumstance really is a victim state. It's, it's just a state of mind. And the closer you will be to achieving your highest potential and frequency. I think continued growth and development and exploration is the key. I mean, there isn't a finished line or product. It's about continuous improvement. I learned that when I worked for Toyota. They have something called Kaizen, which is a Japanese term for continuous improvement. And again, that goes back to what you said. I didn't know why I needed to learn that, you know, back in the day. Okay, continuous improvement, Kaizen, just in time, which is their manufacturing methodology, which means if something's broken, you stop the line, stop production, and you fix it. You don't keep the line moving, right? And that's what, no shade, that's what other companies were doing, right? They were just, you know, manufacturing things, defects or not, we got to keep the, you got to keep the supply chain moving. We don't stop. Well, we're stopping. We're, we're addressing whatever's going on. We're fixing problems and making things better along the way. So I think that's just the fundamental truth of what everyone needs to, to do. Man, if you don't take anything away, just listen to the last two minutes that we just talked about. And that's, you know, proof enough to just listen to this whole podcast. Man, I feel like we just touched the surface, really, to be honest with you. I, I wish we had more time because we might have to bring you on for a part two or something like that because you just threw out Toyota again. I'm like, who haven't you worked for? We- I'm telling you, it's, it's, been a, it's been a love to just look back on my life and, and, and shoot. I mean, we're young. We have so much further to go. So, yeah, I'd love to come back if there's an opportunity. I'm just keeping it 100 with you, you know, and I think that's that's the greatest opportunity that we have for each other is just to just be transparent and authentic and compassionate. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough for being here, but I want to know how I can keep up with you. How can everyone listening keep up sure, with you? Sure, sure. Well, the easiest way is at Taj Tashambe. That's my tag for everything and TajTashambe.com. I'll keep you posted. Man more amazing great things to come because i know you're building an immense amount of tables right now thank you and i can't wait to see what they all look like thank you so much is there anything else you want to say before we leave i just i always like to ask that anything we didn't cover i mean i know we we're gonna work on a part two yeah but is there anything else that you you want to just throw out there for anyone listening no i think i think i just had my mic drop a second ago i like that (laughs) i like that that means we had a good conversation and a good cast absolutely and everybody uh you just heard how to keep up with taj uh i'm looking forward to you know everything that's happening with the a's and everything that's happening with all your entrepreneur oh Oh, let me say that let me say that so if you anyone wants to check on the a's the status of our project visit wearerooted.com and you can find out everything you need to know about the ballpark all right we'll definitely do that Thank you, Taj, for being here. I I just cannot um, stress enough how much this conversation is going to change everyone who listens to it. And also just stay up with the Power Play podcast. We are here every Thursday on the Athletic Podcast Network Bay Area. So I will see you next time on Power Play. Where do you even start with Taj Tashambe? Man, that podcast was gem after gem after gem. If you didn't catch it again, listen to this podcast again, because literally this isn't just advice for power plays or power players in sport. It's not just about sport. It's about life. This man created his own table. He knew what he wanted. He went after it. He put in the work to do it, and he got it. If that's not like a blueprint for success in every area, I don't know what is. Let's just start by saying that being in his position is a very hard position to be in. You have a lot of layers to unpack, a lot of things that you have to combat, and also just a lot of things that you have to link and put together. One of the reasons why I really wanted him on this podcast is because when you think of government, like I said, you would never think of that in accordance with sports. It's just not something that people put together quite often. But as you can see within things in the media, we touched on um, the whole NBA China thing. 
you know, government, politics, all of those things, they definitely fold into what sport is and they're really important. They're one of those things that is unseen in sport that should be talked about more so that when something happens, like the comment that <laughs> sparked the entire, I don't know what you even want to call it. It was, it was something that I think is unprecedented that happened in China with the NBA. I think people would be more, they wouldn't be caught off guard because it is something that's very important. When it comes to Oakland, as I said many times in this podcast, I have lived here for 13 years of my life. And I always tell people that while I'm from Portland, Oregon, and Portland raised me, Oakland made me who I am. And so to see team after team vacate and leave Oakland, it's really hard for me, to be honest. Personally, I I hate seeing it because I love Oakland and everything that Oakland stands for, the history of Oakland, the people of Oakland. But a lot of the things that are happening to it aren't exciting to me right now. It's, It's very disheartening. And one of those things are the teams leaving. With that said, we still have yet to see if the Oakland A's are going to stay or not. People say that they are. They have a Rooted in Oakland campaign. But even as Taj pointed out, we're not sure about the state. You know, he's working really hard to make sure that they do and that the ballpark is built. But we still have yet to see what will happen. But what I do know is I appreciate the work that he's putting in. I appreciate his point of view of not only what Oakland means to sport, but what sport means to Oakland. And I also appreciate the fact that he saw a void and he filled it. He said, in order for these things to happen, they need this, and I am that person to do it. And him and his uncle came in that room, and they built that table, and he is putting in the work to make sure that the athletics stay. And I really applaud him for that. I appreciate that. I urge you to look within your life and the things that are happening around you and assess, like, how can you change the world around you? How can you build your own table in the space that you're in because you're in that space for a reason and there's something that you need to fill yourself. Another thing that I wanted to point out about this podcast that was really important to me is the fact that employers really need to instill, I don't even want to say freedom, but give their employers the go-ahead to be themselves and to cultivate their own brands in order to bring more to the spaces that they work in. When he was talking about, you know, having frustrations with kind of being who he is and balancing that with who he is for the A's, um, I really appreciated that because I know within my career path, I felt that, and you probably have too, there are things that you want to do, things that you're passionate about, and you can't really do them all the way because you kind of feel cuffed to where you work. Listen, that is just a truth that many people have. And I appreciated that he brought that to the table, saying that employers need to do that more. Because to be honest, if I'm passionate about who I am, what I'm doing, and what I'm putting into my work, it's obviously going to shine more. Um, You hire people for a reason. They are there to represent you. And they're also there because of the talents that they bring to the table. So why not cultivate those? In a lot of ways... I had to make a decision to leave my career because I wanted to do that. I knew that to fully walk in my purpose, I had to separate myself from the environment that I was in. And I appreciate the fact that he's able to thrive in the environment that he's in, both personally and professionally, and to build his brand alongside of the brand of the Oakland A's. Side note, I really need to enhance my vocabulary because Taj was throwing out all these words and I was like, I really need to look these up in order to ask him the next question because I don't know what he's saying all the way. But I think that's a testament to number one, him learning and something that I need to learn. But tangentially, we we need to explore that word. Who says that on a daily basis? Taj does. And I appreciate that. (laughs) The history that Taj brought to the table is also something that I really appreciate because in order to progress and become a power player, you really need to know what has happened in the field that you're in. He was very versed in all of the history. 
that preceded the Oakland A's and, and really Oakland. In order to be in government, you have to know those things. And I appreciated that he brought that point of view to the table. In life and things that you do, do you know what people have done before you? How are you going to know to accomplish what you're going to do, those new trails that you're about to blaze without knowing where you came from in the history of what you're doing. So I urge you to do that as well. It's something that I'm going to work on, especially after listening to Taj and everything that he brought to the table. I also want to note that Taj just released an EP. What's Up is his new song for his R&V vibe that he talked about. So make sure you go to Taj Tashambe at Taj Tashambe on Instagram to check that out. Um, he is definitely multifaceted in every single way. So go and check out his new EP. And to keep up with the progress of the Oakland A's, if they're going to stay in Oakland, leave, how the Howard Terminal Project is going, make sure that you visit wearerooted.com to keep up with the progress. It's really important to Oakland and it's important to you just as a fan, if you are a fan of sports, Actually, just to see the moves and how they're going to change is important on any level. So just make sure that you keep up with WeAreRooted.com. And thank you for keeping up with the Power Play podcast. We're bringing you a new insight into the power plays of sport every single Thursday on TheAthletic.com backslash Power Play. And make sure that you drop a comment below because, listen, the comments help us. I'm just going to keep it real. The comments help to place where we're at in this podcast world. The more comments, the better. And honestly, I just want to know how we're doing. I want to know if there's anything that you want to see on this podcast. And I want to know if there's anything that we're missing because it's important that you get this view of the power plays in sport.